your goodness, your faithfulness. We thank you for your word, and I pray that this morning your Holy Spirit would guide us and lead us as we look at um, some things, God, that are challenging to us. So I pray, God, that as we are challenged and encouraged this morning, we pray that it would not be because of guilt or shame or whatever the flesh would say, but it'd be by your Holy Spirit who leads us in all truth. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to talk about the importance of expectations. Okay, we're going to be talking about expectations because the reality is we all have certain, certain expectations in life, don't we? We have expectations about certain things like our marriage, like children, like our children, like our finances, our, our friends, our careers, our, even our spiritual lives. We have these expectations that we live with. Now, where the struggle comes in, though, is when our expectations don't line up with the realities of our lives. That's when things get tough. And sometimes when these things that we just talked about, uh, I just mentioned, and other things go sideways, and one of these things kind of goes like we don't expect, uh, what happens is we can wonder why. Why is this happening? We can start, as Christians, we can start to say, why doesn't God do something? Why doesn't he do something more than he's actually doing right now about this? We say things like, how long, God, how long must this go on? Why don't you see? Don't you see what's happening here, God? Why aren't you intervening like I would expect you to? When this happens, it's really easy for us, though, to struggle with doubt and disappointment. I don't know how many of you have dealt with that I have before. Where things just are not going as we expect. And we start to doubt. Doubt ourselves. Doubt God. And we start to live with disappointment. The reality is that there are times that we are going to struggle with periods of doubt and disappointment. Really as a result of life not turning out like we thought it would. Small areas. Big areas. And as followers of Jesus... If we're really, I think if we're really to drill down to the heart of the matter, oftentimes the reasons, the reasons that we experience these periods of doubt in life is because God is not living up to our expectations. I mean, if we really drill down to it, that's what's happening, I think, in a lot of our lives. If God was really in control, if he really cared I mean, if he was, you are good, if he was really, really good, then he would intervene. He would do something, especially he would do something in a way that makes sense to us if he really was good. Well, the truth of the matter is that we struggle with these questions because oftentimes our expectations of God simply don't line up with the realities of who he is and how he operates. That's why we experience these things. How do we get to a place where we're able to navigate the difficulties of life in such a way that our expectations of God don't set us up for succumbing to doubt and uh, and disappointment? How do we do that? How do we get to a place where we line those things up a little bit? Because so often they're so far apart. How do we do that and, and enable ourselves to experience the joy and the realities of what we've been talking about these months, these kingdom living we've been talking about. 
Hopefully today's passage will help us in this, will help us to answer that question a bit. So as we continue in our study in the book of Matthew, where today we're going to look at a couple situations where what Jesus does is he helps the people that he's talking to, to by explaining them, helping them with the expectations that they have of him that are actually, actually that are wrong or that are inaccurate versus the ones they should have of him and the ramifications of having those inaccurate and inaccurate and accurate expectations are. So he's trying to help them with their expectations and their misunderstanding of who he is. So really the premise of what I want to say this morning, what's going on is that our expectations of Jesus, both accurate and in- inaccurate, impact how we experience the realities of the kingdom, okay? This is where we're going this morning, okay? This is the premise. So, okay, so remember, we talked about this before, living, kingdom living. I don't, I want to make sure we understand that, that whole what phrase or kingdom living. Really, it's about living under God's rule and God's reign in our hearts in our, and in our lives as we fully submit to him. That's what the kingdom of God is, okay? It's living under that, under that submission, so last week we looked at the instructions that Jesus gave to his disciples as he was getting ready to send them out. Remember we talked about their mission last week? This is getting ready to send them out on their mission to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of heaven. Now we're going to pick up where Jesus has just finished these instructions, okay? He's done instructing them, okay? And what's going to happen now, he's going to start teaching, he says, okay, they're gone. I'm going to go do what I do. He's going to go out. He's going to start teaching. He's going to start doing all the things he does and preaching in the local city. But soon, all of a sudden, some people approach him with a very important question. So let's start there. Let's start with uh, Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to start with verses 1 through 3. It says this. When Jesus had finished introducing his 12 disciples, uh, instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of, Christ, of the Christ, he sent word to his disciples, and he said to them, "Are you?" The, are you he said to him, "Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another?" So we see, we see here that John the Baptist, because he's in prison, what he does is he sends his disciples to Jesus with an inquiry, okay? Now, the whole story of John being in prison, uh, the account of this is, um, you, can look at it, you can look at it later, it's in Matthew 14, we'll get to it actually, but suffice to say, what happened was uh, he had confronted Herod, the ruler of that area at the time, the Roman ruler, about how he had taken his brother's wife and went to go visit his brother, saw her, took him as his wife, and dumped his present wife. His present wife. And so what happened, John confronts him on this. And obviously, Herod doesn't share uh, John's passion for accountability, so he doesn't appreciate this. So Herod has him thrown into jail, okay? So this is what's happening right now. John is in jail. Now, John's obviously, he's, he's obviously heard what's going on. Everything's a buzz of what, but what's been going on with Jesus, so obviously he's heard what Jesus is doing, the miracles, the healing, all this incredible teaching. Yet the fact, just the very fact that he sent his disciples to ask Jesus if he was the Messiah or if they should look for somebody else, really what this does is this tells us that John was having doubts. Okay, he was having doubts of whether Jesus was truly the Messiah. 
Okay, like most first century Jews, John had certain expectations of what the coming of the Messiah would look like, okay? They thought they had it pretty much figured out. They kind of expected this Messiah to be something of a royal military figure, okay? One who would reign on Israel's throne, okay? He would bring about restoration of the great nation and by establishing this era of, of justice and of peace, he would judge the unrighteous, okay? He would set the captives free. This is, what they were, this is what they were anticipating, okay? Yet from John's inquiry, we can assume that he was kind of expecting something different, huh? Maybe he was expecting maybe something, maybe even more. You know, it didn't seem right to him. It didn't see add up. We can assume that Jesus wasn't living up to John's messianic expectations here. Or he wouldn't have even sent these guys. Where, where was the judgment? Where's the judgment of the evildoers? Where's that going on? And remember, because remember in Matthew, we saw in Matthew chapter three uh, that John says this. Remember when the, when the Pharisees and them came out to see him? He says, but when John saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, hi guys, I like you. No, he said, hey, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. See, John, John's assuming that these religious leaders, when Jesus comes, they're going to get it. Ooh, you're going to get yours now. He's here. That was, that was John's assumption as soon as the Messiah comes. So he's probably confused, but he's also confused about the people that Jesus is hanging around. Remember who, who Jesus told we've been talking about, who Jesus has been hanging around? He's been spending most of his time with the down and outers, the outcasts, the culturally forbidden people that he's been hanging out, the, the sinners. This has got to be confusing John a little bit. We can assume that he was expecting something a little bit more maybe revolutionary possibly from Jesus or from the Messiah. Yet here he sits in a prison, probably wondering what is going on here? This isn't the plan. I mean, can you get a sense of John's doubt and disappointment here sitting in a prison cell? As the herald of the Messiah, he's in the prison. How did John get there? How did John get to a place where he was just down and out to the point where he would even say, are you the one? Expectations. That's how he got there. Expectations. You see, even the great John the Baptist dealt with his own expectations of Jesus that weren't completely accurate. John was anticipating victory, but where was he? In prison. Thinking, this is going nowhere. What's happening here? Thankfully, the good, thing about, the good news about all this is John did the best thing that he could possibly do in this situation. He went straight to Jesus to ask. He didn't sit around. He didn't brood. He didn't allow himself. More importantly, he didn't allow himself to get cynical or bitter and go, what was all that about? What, all that time I spent out there, that locust tastes terrible, you know, whatever. He's just like, what is going on here? No, he went right to Jesus. He said, what is up here? He sought the truth by going to Jesus. Look at verse four through six. He, Jesus answers John's question. He says, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended by me. 
See what Jesus does here? He graciously answers John in John's inquiry here. He doesn't rebuke him. I mean, he could have easily said, hey, come on, John, don't you know who I am? Don't you remember? Aren't you the one that when I came out to be baptized and you saw me coming, aren't you the one that said, behold, the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sins of the world? Don't you remember? He could have said that, but he doesn't. He doesn't. He's gracious about it. Instead, he simply points to the things that he's been doing. He says, look what I've been doing, John. Look at all these things. And what he, in doing this, what he's doing is he's pointing out really things that are echoing what was, what was prophesied by Isaiah, actually, concerning the things that the Messiah would do. Isaiah had said these very exact things that the Messiah would be doing that Jesus is doing. What Jesus does, he points him to Scripture. He's pointing him right to what the word of God says. It's like he's saying, John, remember? Remember all those old, I know you remember. I know you remember all those prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the Messiah. Remember all those? Think back. You know them. They are all now fulfilled in me. Okay? So yes, I'm the guy. I am he. I'm the one. And I am coming to judge, John. I am coming to judge. But first... I'm coming to heal, and I'm coming to restore. And he adds it a little bit at the end there in verse 6. He says, basically what he's saying is, he adds that every single person, everyone who accepts this truth, everyone who trusts in his message of salvation will ultimately find freedom. It won't be a stumbling block. It won't cause them any problem. They will get it. So he's trying to dispel this, all this, what people were thinking about it. So you see here, that, that, that what Jesus does is shows us that even when these super spiritual people that we see, sometimes, you don't you ever look at people sometimes and you go, man, they must never stumble. I bet they never doubt. I bet, I bet they just cruise. Sure, they have problems, but I bet as soon as they have a problem, they're on their knees for an hour, thanking God for the hard times because they know it's refining them refiners. You know, there are those, there's, you know, there's those kind of people that they, we look at those kind of people. But here we have a great picture of even someone super spiritual. And even today, we show that, have, we, that there are people that are spiritual have times when their expectations of God don't line up with the realities of who God is. And they find themselves doubting. They find themselves doubting his plan. They find themselves doubting his goodness. But here's the difference. Here's the difference between the people that we see as spiritual, these spiritual people, and those kind of that become spiritually anemic whenever hard times come and their expectations aren't met and they start to become doubtful and they become very disappointed. Here's the difference, what those spiritual people do. They do what John did. They do exactly what John did. They go to Jesus. They go right to the source of truth. And remember what Jesus did? Jesus pointed them to the word. So for us, what this means is today, this means that when we start to struggle with expectations, we start to struggle with doubt, we start to struggle with disappointment, we go to his word. And I know this sounds, that sounds elementary, for those, especially for those of us who have been walking with the Lord for a while. But it, I don't think that's our knee-jerk reaction a lot of times, is it? What's going on, God? What's going on? When we should be going right, the, word, the truth is in God's word. That will help us. 
But we think, okay, how can I fix this? How can I manipulate this? How can I change this? That's where we go first. But we see here, we go to his word. You see, the best cure for inaccurate expectations of God is the truth that is found in his word. So often people say, I don't believe this about God. Well, you ever read this about God? No, but I just don't believe it. Well, why wouldn't you have an inaccurate expectations of God? Even Christians so often. Inaccurate expectations of God because they just aren't reading the word. And the reality is unless that you and I are in his word reg- on a regular basis, really we're destined to live with expectations of God that he never intended us for, to have. And we're going to find ourselves succumbing to doubt and disappointment when things don't go as we expected, okay? So now we've looked at John's expectations of Jesus okay, in that section. Now in this next section, we're gonna look at how Jesus really confronts the people. He confronts the culture and their expectations about John and really how his message and how he actually impacts the kingdom living for us, for kingdom living. So let's look at verses seven through 10. He says this, as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then do you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. Who will prepare your way before you? So Jesus starts by asking them these two rhetorical questions, okay? Two rhetorical questions, and he uses two images in order to contrast what the people were expecting of John, okay? This first one he uses is this reed shaken in the wind, and the other one was really a kind of a nice, well-dressed, refined man, okay? He's saying, did you go out in the wilderness? Did you go out there to see a guy who was just really kind of this bland part of the scenery who would just say things that people wanted to hear and he would no, be no big deal? He'd, tell, he'd like, like what he said or, you know, kind of spoke platitudes to you. Is that who you're expecting? Or were you, going out there to, were you going out there to see a guy that was going to be dressed in some fine clothes, looking really nice like guys do that live in a, maybe in a palace, a really uh, rich guy or something like that? No. He knew this. They knew that they, he knew that they knew this when they were going. I mean, people knew about John. They, they knew that he was the kind of guy that was rough. He was an ascetic kind of guy. He, his lifestyle was really rough. He looked rough. He knew this about them. So he's, what, he tells, what he's telling them here, the man you're going to find, that's not who you were going out to think. I know who you were looking for. You were looking for a prophet, but, but here's the problem. The reality is that John was way more than you had ever expected. You went out to see this prophet. But he was way, you you do have, you have no idea who you went out to see. You have no clue what you went out to. It wasn't just this guy out there talking. It wasn't looking rough. You have no clue. He wasn't just a prophet. He was the immediate predecessor of the one who brought the message of salvation. He was a, he's a, this John, he was a pivotal figure in the coming age of salvation. And we're, as we see the next verse, in the verse there, it says, he was a prophet who was prophesied about. 
John was prophesied about by other prophets. We see a similar thing about in Isaiah. It says, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for God. He's talking about John. This prophet was prophesied about in the Old Testament. Now, to further explain John's true identity, look at the next couple of verses, 11 and 12. He says, truly I say to you, now this is big, among those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Now, here's what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is saying is up until this present time in history, check this out. He's saying there has been, John has been the greatest person ever born. I mean, how'd you like to have that said about you? The greatest person ever born. That's what he's saying is that is how important John the Baptist's role is in the story of God's redemption. He's a key, pivotal figure. You thought he was just a prophet. No, he's so much more than that. But here's the, here's the little caveat he does. Yet for how, as how great as John was, listen, he was the greatest guy ever born. He says, Jesus says that John's of the old guard. He's of the old way of things. Something, something new is happening, okay? The fulfillment of all the prophets, even including John, that they prophesied. All that is coming true. God's doing something greater than he has ever done before. It's a new era of grace, of salvation through faith in Jesus alone. A new and better covenant. And now, and this is what he's saying, anybody Willing to follow Jesus is greater than John. That's how big, that's how monumental it was that Jesus' coming was. That's how amazing Jesus is, that his new covenant, the way of believing in him, that kind of relationship with God, anybody who has it is greater than the greatest man ever born. Even as I'm saying that, I'm having a hard time comprehending what that really means. That's how powerful and amazing the message of Christ is. Anyone, anybody is greater than John. Yet Jesus tells us that it's this very, in this, he also goes on to say that in the very short history, since the beginning of John's ministry, which it hasn't been that long, the kingdom of heaven is already marked by violence. And we already see that. I mean, obviously, John's in prison. We see the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees and all the other religious leaders, they've been going after Jesus like crazy, trying to get, trying to destroy his message. And you know what? That mess, that still, that thing that happens, it's still going on today. Take, taken violently. Remember we talked about this last, was it last week or the week before that? How the, um, it, the truth will come between what? Family members between mothers and sons and daughters, the truth, the God, what the truth of God will come, and they'll do some heavy duty stuff. You got a believer and a non believer in the home, that can cause some heavy duty friction. And it's meant to, because the message is so powerful, it's so important. That's, that's what he's saying here. 
Now, Jesus brings his argument about this all to an importance of John to a, really to a culmination in verses 13 and 15. Look what he says. He says, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. See what Jesus is saying here? He says, now, let me tell you. Let me tell you how much more John is than you ever expected. Let me tell you here. I'm going to give you a little, little, little hint here. I'm going to show you a picture. He, this guy, is actually the Elijah figure that you have been waiting for. Is there something about that in a Seder meal? Isn't there a place? Aren't you have an open space? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like you have an empty, I've heard like you have an empty chair or an invitation or something like that at a, at a Jewish Seder that this, 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 is, this is ready for Elijah. When he comes, we're ready for him. But look what he's saying. Look what Jesus is saying here. And this is what we're talking about with this Seder. He's saying, no, that Elijah figure, he's come. He has already come. It's done. That all that's been said, all those expectations you had concerning the Elijah figure preceding the Messiah, it's all been met in John. This must have been, this must have, this had, these people had to be going, they just must have been like, what? That can't be true. That just sounds insane to them how important he is. He's the Elijah figure. And here's why this is so important for us today, you guys. Here's why this is, you're thinking, okay, God, this is old, this is old stuff. What are you talking about here? This is why it's so important. What Jesus is saying that is that if you are able to understand that John is more than you expected him to be, not just a prophet, then you are able to truly understand and believe that I am the Messiah. If you can believe that, if you can get your head around the fact that this is who John was, you know what? It's going to make it all that much more easier for you to understand. He, this, you're going to start, the, the pieces of the puzzle are going to start to go, oh, 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 oh. It's all going to start to make sense. You see, people's inaccurate expectation of who John was was actually keeping them from seeing who Jesus was. You see the problem with inaccurate expectations? They can really take us down a dangerous path. Do you see how important it was to Jesus that they understand the truth of the Old Testament prophecies about John? Jesus wanted to point them once again back to God's word that said, this is what it said. I want you to understand this tells us that we not only need to be regularly in God's word in order to overcome inaccurate expectations of God, but we need to be doing our best to truly understand God's word, to really understand it. And this is where the importance of actually going beyond just reading the Bible comes in. I think many of us are good at, pretty good at reading the Bible, but what about actually studying it? We need to be actually studying the Bible in order to better understand what it's saying. What does that mean? People say, okay, go to a Bible study. Do, have, make sure you're having Bible study. What this means, 
what, what studying the Bible means is being willing with the help of the Holy Spirit to do the hard work of asking the questions about what the text is actually saying. That's what Bible study is. It's totally different than just reading the Bible. It's hard work. It's being willing to say, I need to understand what this actually is saying. What does it really mean? And you know what? This can be done alone. You can study the Bible alone, but really being able to get together with other believers is crucial. It is a crucial way of better understanding God's word and what he's saying. I know that when I get together on Tuesday nights with the men, I love it because I'll come, I've got my little worksheet all done. I'm going, okay, I think I understand this. Then I start hearing what other guys, what the Holy Spirit has told other guys. I'm just like, I walk away going, wow. God, you're, you're, you are good. You know, I, that's, I really walk away with that. Because I'll hear all these differing views and how God has made up different people to understand things differently and how the Spirit's working in their life. I love it. That's why it's so important to be involved in studying the Bible, but also consider if you can, if it's, you're able to fit it in your life, to be able to do that with a group of people, with one other person, something. Because we're seeing right here that Jesus is letting the people know, you need to understand. You need to understand what the Bible says. Don't assume. A lot of us have grown up in church, and there's a lot of things that we assume about the Bible because someone has told us. Don't assume that everything I tell you is 100% right. Some of you are going, oh, shoot. I say that to say, you know what? Check it out for yourself. Go look for yourself. Don't, I, I, when I was in youth ministry all those years, our, we always told our, our kids before they went off to college, our goal is you will learn to be self-feeders. Don't rely on the church. Don't rely on Sunday morning. Don't rely on the podcast. Don't rely on the preachers on the radio to feed you. That's all good and okay stuff, but that's not the end all. That will not help you to truly understand God's word in a way that will help you to have a, the proper expectations of God. All right. Now, where the heck am I? All right. Uh, <laughs> he says, do you have ears to hear? And, you know, are we truly understanding? What are you saying? Do you get it? Do you get what I'm saying? Because the truth is, often inaccurate expectations of God stems from an inaccurate understanding of God's word Tweet that, love that, think about it. It is so true. Inaccurate expectations of God stem from inaccurate understanding of God's word. That's why we need to be willing to study. He's chatting, Jesus does that here. He's challenging their listeners, his listeners, on what he's saying. To not just to read, but to accept. Not just what he's saying, but accept this new and wonderful truth he's talking about. Do we have ears to hear? Are we listening? He's telling people, are you listening? Do you understand? Are you just hearing me like when you're a kid? Remember we talked about before? You get a little kid and you grab him by the face. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know, not just are they going in one ear and out the other. Do you understand? Because it's life and death consequences that you truly understand. Do we have ears to hear? All right. Now we're going to see in our last section we're going to look at, last section of scripture, that Jesus knows that many people, many of these people, many people in the culture will not hear or accept. He just knows that. 
A lot of people just aren't going to go do it. So look what he says uh, in verses 16 through 19, our last section. He says, but to what shall I compare this generation? He says, it's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. So in our last last section, we focused on um, the people's inaccurate expectations of John and how that impacts kingdom living. Now, in these verses... What Jesus is doing is he's addressing people's failure to respond to his message of the kingdom due to inaccurate expectations they have specifically of him now, okay? What he says is, and he uses this little parable, this little fun little parable to illustrate his point. What he's saying is that they're like a bunch of children, okay? They're like a bunch of kids that are out in the marketplace when it's kind of cleared out and it's empty and they want to go play and they want to go do their thing. And some of them start playing like some lively music and say, hey, everybody, let's dance. Come on, let's have some fun. There's a group of them that are really getting into it, but there's a whole bunch of people are saying, no way, I'm not doing that. Uh, that, that, that makes absolutely no, that makes no sense. I don't want to join in. They complain that people, that music is terrible. You, you, I, I don't want to do that. I don't agree with that tune. You know, you know what, I'm not doing that. That was last week's top 10. I'm not doing that. Okay, okay, fine. Here's what we'll do. This is really common in our, in our culture. We'll play like a death dirge. We'll pretend, you know, we'll pretend that we're lamenters. Remember we talked about that, how there's professional lamenters? We'll pretend that we're lamenters at a funeral. And let that, that should be fun. Let's do that. Come on, join in. And the, yeah, the kid's the same thing. Like, are you kidding me? I'm not going to do that. Does that sound so sad? I don't want to be depressed. Oh, you know, my parents are already on Prozac. I don't want to be doing that. They're like, I'll, I'll forget it. I'm not doing that. So they don't want to join in. They don't want to play. They don't, they don't want to get involved. Jesus is saying that they are like children. They're fickle. They're never satisfied. They came out to see John. They came out to see this prophet in the wilderness. But his lifestyle and his message was way too harsh for them. Not what they expected. So they said, that guy is nuts. That guy is crazy. He's got to be demon possessed. It's gotta, it has to be a demon. No one would be that nuts. Okay? And Jesus is saying he doesn't measure up to their expectations either. To Jesus, he's too much of a socializer. He's a partier. He loves to hang out with people. He loves to go to meals all the time. He's always at meals. And, and check out who he's with at these meals. The people that he's with at, the, at these meals makes no, makes no sense. They're the social outsiders. They're the ones that are on margins of society. You know what? Dude's a glunt, glutton and a drunkard. He's got to be. Messiah wouldn't do that. Only a drunkard or a glutton would do that kind of thing. You see, the people didn't accept John or Jesus because they weren't living up to their expectations. They weren't fitting into the box that this is what a Messiah should look like. This is what he came to do. We had other expectations. This is how I interpreted that. That must be the way it is. 
So they couldn't do it, and they were missing out on all of it. But Jesus tells us at the, at, at the end of verse 19 that his way of living and loving people and the things that he's been doing and saying concerning the kingdom of heaven is the personification of wisdom. You want to know what wisdom is? You want to know to be wise? Is my message. That is what is wisdom. In other words, what he's saying here is, was the way that he lives, maybe it might be unorthodox, it might not, people not might like it, they might not expect it, but look at the results. People are being healed. People are finding new life. They're finding freedom. Here's what I think this tells us today. I think that what this does, this shows us today that we are to live out God's word. So we're to go to his word. We are to understand his word. And we're to live out his word. And like I said, I know that sounds kind of elementary. But I cannot tell you how easy it is. I think the enemy loves to trip us up between one and two. If he can guess that, you know, oh, whew, I did my quiet time. I read my, I read my verses. Good. Good to go. And that's all. And, and, I, and I went to church on Sunday. And I'm good to go. That's the lie from Satan. I'm not telling you that to get, make you feel guilty. It's hard work. It is work. But Jesus is saying, you want to not live with these misunderstandings of who I am, have these expectations that, that are not about who I am? You got to go deeper then. You need the word. The word is where you find the truth. And it's not about how much time. It's not about ticking off the box. It's about being in it. However it works for you to be in it and then living it. <laughs> That's where the enemy loves it too. We have so much information. The reality is we could probably stop hearing any more sermons and live a fruitful Christian life with all that we know and we've been taught and having the word at our own disposal. But don't we so often as Christians, we rely on someone else not only to feed us, but we get fed and then we become Got a lot, I got a lot of info. I know what God, yeah, I know what God has to say about that. And you know where that all end up, ends up coming out? On rants on Facebook. You know, it comes out in all these opinions and Christians, you know, having their stances on things that have absolutely nothing to do with the gospel. Yet, we're high and mighty about certain things that he said, well, don't, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. You're expecting me to fit into a box. You're expecting me to act like you want me to act. And then you wonder why you get so frustrated. You wonder why you're disappointed. You wonder why you're doubting that I'm good. It's because your expectations are, are off. So as we live our lives, as we live our lives by how we understand God expects us to, and not by how our culture expects us to. Well, for one thing, we'll probably turn people's heads as they see how we live. We live differently. They're going to see it. But also, the more we live out, and I want you to hear this, the more we live out our understanding of God's expectation for us, the less we will encounter doubt and disappointment when things don't go our way because we will have this assurance of knowing that no matter what, 
He's in control. I know because I understand. I've read it. I've dove into it. I understand what he wants for me. And it, wow, okay, it's not going like I would think it would go, but that's okay. I'm all right. This is hard, but I'm all right because I'm, I'm keeping my expectations in the right place. So let me ask you this morning as we finish up here. How are your expectations of Jesus impacting how you experience the realities of kingdom living? Let me say that again. How are your expectations of Jesus impacting how you experience the realities of kingdom? This living out of the realities of the reign and rule of God in your heart. How are you doing with that? In what area, and this is what I was asking myself constantly this week while I was studying this, what area of your life might you need, might you be expecting God to line up with your expectations? What, think about it. Where might be an area, let's make this practical as we close here. Where might be an area in your life where you're expecting, not to, you're not being rude about it, you're not being belligerent about it, but you really, if you think, if you really think about it, you're expecting God to fit in this box. Your, your expectations of him are a certain way. Some of you can probably pinpoint that one right now, and you can even pinpoint the doubt or the disappointment that you're experiencing because of that inaccurate expectation. We all go there. The great, that's why we don't feel guilty. The great apostle, John, the greatest man ever born till that point, fell into the same trap. And that's what the enemy wants to do for us. Let me encourage you. I just want to encourage you guys. I know I've said some things that we all know, but are also kind of challenging to us. I want to encourage us as a church, as you as, as individuals, to make it a priority to pursue lining up our expectations with the realities of kingdom living. And that's not going to happen naturally. It's just not. But making it a priority to say, I want my expectations to be real. Okay? I want them to line up with the realities of kingdom living. And really the best way, like we just talked about, how do I do that, Rafa? The best way we just talked about it. The best way to do that is, to, is the best way at least to start is go to God's word. Even if you haven't been doing it at all, very often, just start going. Ask somebody, can you help me? Go to one of the Bible studies or ask someone to start meeting with you. Ask, ask what a book you can help with, anything. Because I can give you a whole lot of platitudes about the answer to this question. And really, it all begins with being in God's word. Remember, John, remember late in John where, where all the disciples, there's a story that John uh, tells that all the disciples, all these followers of Jesus, Jesus got done saying some really hard things about following him. And he goes, and, and all, of a sudden, all of a sudden people start leaving. They start peeling off and leaving. And there's just the 12 left. And Jesus goes, uh, looks at his 12, he goes, you guys want to go too? You want to leave? God, yes. Do you want to leave? And what does Peter say? Peter pipes up and says, where would we go? <laughs> Who would we go to? You have the words of eternal life. <laughs> where would we go? 
you are the king. You are the God, the king of the universe. Where else would we go? That's what he's saying here. You want your realities, you want your expectations to line up with the realities, what kingdom living should look like? Where do you go? Like Peter, there's nowhere else to go. I need Jesus. I need to, in his word, in his, the things that he has said, I need to be there to help me. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. We thank you that it is powerful and it is encouraging and challenging. We thank you for passages like this that remind us to um, know what our priorities really need to be. But God, I pray that this message, even for myself, will not incur guilt or shame. God, we know that that's the message of the kingdom. There is no more guilt. There is no more shame. I'm not, we're not measuring up. We don't have to measure up. We have because of Jesus. So help us go in encouragement with that, God, to be in your word, to study your word, to put it into practice when we see that you want us to do something, not to just be fat spiritually, but to actually do it so that we learn more and more what it's like to understand what true, accurate expectations of our God are. Thank you. Your Holy Spirit teaches us these things. In your son's name we pray. Amen.